Hi, everyone. My name is Megan Morgan, and I am back with another episode of uh, Cocktails and Cookbooks. Um, I am so incredibly so incredibly appreciative of everyone who has been tuning in and who has been checking the podcast out. It's not much, but, uh, but thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, this is currently being recorded on, let's see, uh, the end of May, 2020. It's a tough time. Uh, COVID-19 is, you know, here it's with us. Um, we wish it weren't. It is an unwelcome guest. But, um, we're all doing the very best we can to cope. I I like to think so anyway. Um, I know that some of us are having more trouble than others, but, um, you know, uh, my thoughts are with you. Uh, if, if you're, if you're having a hard time, if on the other hand, you are enjoying, uh, sort of the peace and quiet that has maybe come to your life along with all of this, then, uh, you know, I say full, full steam ahead. Enjoy the heck out of that, uh, out of that uh, maybe little bit of extra piece. I'm not. I'm an essential worker. So I have a lot of extra stress in my daily life that I wouldn't normally have, which is why I, I'm kind of really enjoying sitting down and, and talking about cooking and food. And, uh, today, I plan on talking a lot about the cookbook that I pulled out is, um, oh boy, uh, I am just going to briefly step away from the Betty Crocker cookbook and I pulled out, uh, since we're going back in time, the very first cookbook that I ever cooked from, uh, and it is... Uh, just bear with me here and, and please forgive me. And also if you cook out of this regularly, then like no shame whatsoever. It is the Rachel Ray 365 No Repeats, A Year of Deliciously Different Dinners, a 30 minute meal cookbook. I don't know if any of you remember this, but there was this period of time, um, in the early 2000s when Rachel w- Ray, Rachel Ray, I haven't had much to drink yet. I'm so sorry. I'm messing up my words. When Rachel Ray was really big, and a part of the reason why Rachel Ray was so huge is because she she was a big proponent of the idea of being able to put together a really nice meal really quickly. Now, the reality of her cookbooks and a lot of her recipes was, unfortunately, that if you weren't like a master of the chefy knife skills, then you might find it took a little bit, or in some cases, a lot longer than 30 minutes to get a meal on the table. So unfortunately, I'm not sure that her cookbooks achieved sort of like the message that she was trying to get out there, which was that to to a bunch of people, she was basically trying to say, hey, you know, don't be so intimidated by this. Like you can make food from scratch and uh, it might not necessarily take that long. And and that was really kind of revolutionary for me. And like I said, I'm going to be talking a lot about my early days of cooking and my relationship with food. Um, this is probably going to include at least some talk about like disordered eating, uh, so if you're someone who is struggling with that or someone who, you know, for whom that is a problem, then, uh, please do feel a hundred percent okay about like chipping out on this episode. Uh, but, but yeah, this, this kind of thing, like this 30 minute meal cookbook, um, really made a big difference for me as far as, Really, it opened the door to the idea of making food in a way that worked for me. So I'm not, I'm not going to say like anything negative about, you know, the 30 minute meal cookbooks other than a lot of the recipes did not take 30 minutes, but it really introduced me to cooking in a way that worked. So all that said, 
And here we go. Most importantly, this evening's cocktail is, what did I make? I made, uh, if you listened last time, I talked about how one of my mother's favorite drinks is an Irish coffee. And so tonight I made an Irish coffee. Uh, the ingredients for this are, and I kind of half-assed it, I threw it together sort of based off of memory and a couple of things that I saw, you know, on Pinterest. Um, I used maple syrup. Sorry, mom, I did not use the sugar cube. And I know I went on and on about how that's the right way to do it last time, but I didn't do it that way. I did it my way. Um, I used maple syrup, uh, some coffee, uh, some Jack Daniels because I don't have Irish whiskey right now. Um, and that works. It really, it tastes fine. And some whipped cream that I just threw together myself. I was very lucky to still have a little bit of heavy cream, even right now in the middle of, you know, pandemic and everything. I had some heavy cream. I dumped it in a bowl. I like whipped it. I did this thing that if you've ever seen me make whipped cream, then you will know that at least part of the process is that I'll start off at the counter. I'll be whipping at the counter. And I do this by hand because I'm insane. Um, and that lasts for about two or three minutes. And then I always get frustrated. And the next thing you know, I'm like, the bowl is on the floor and I'm like crouched over it. And I'm like, whipping whipped cream crouched on the floor and i don't know why that just feels like a more natural whipping position to me um and uh i probably shouldn't do it that way but that's that's how it always happens so yes i'm drinking an irish coffee again the ingredients uh in this particular version are maple syrup coffee uh jack daniels whiskey and whipped cream that I made myself. And then I grated a little bit of nutmeg on top. And that, uh, it's fresh grated nutmeg, which I have never done before. I've never had whole spices before. I know that like, it's always like a better flavor than like the ground spices in a jar. But most of them, like I don't actually have like a grinder dedicated to spices. So for the most part, I'm just like, oh, fuck that. I'm going to use it out of a jar. Well, I just found nutmeg at the store the other day, like the whole nutmeggy bit megs. They weren't too terribly expensive. I picked up a baggie, so I grated it on top. And nutmeg is really cool when you grate it. It like actually kind of looks like a nut on the inside. It's weird. And it also smells absolutely lovely. So that's what I have. I have an Irish coffee and it is really legitimately delicious. I put in like a ton of this whipped cream. It's fantastic. Here. I'm going to have a drink and you're going to listen to me do it because this podcast is called Cocktails and Cookbooks and apparently this is how I roll. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I'm me and this is how I roll. All right, here we go. Mm. It's really very good. You might be wondering right now, well, Megan, what are the quantities of all of these ingredients? Um, Like, how do I actually make this myself? I'm going to tell you right now that at at this point, unless I'm following like a really specific recipe, I just kind of chuck shit together. I eyeball it. I'll like throw something in. I'll like throw something else in. I'll like stir it up. I'll give it a taste and be like, yes, that's great. Or I'll be like, no, I could use some more of this. I'll chuck that whatever else it needs in and then like just be done with it. Um, again, I've been cooking, like really actually properly cooking since I was probably about 19. I can tell you that the date on this book, the date that this book I'm about to talk about, it was given to me in 2006. So, I, okay, crap, I have to do math. This is going to be tough. Okay, so 2006 to 20. 16 would have been 10 years and then 2016 to where are we now 2020 okay so i've been cooking for 14 years is that right yes that makes sense because i'm 34 so yeah i've been cooking for about 14 years that doesn't sound that long now that i'm thinking about it um but it feels like it's been a while at least and i feel like i've gotten pretty good at it um 
I mean, some people I'm sure would argue against that, but I feel like I've gotten pretty good at it over the last few years. And so, um, I don't know. I think that, I think that the approach that I took to cooking at, once I really started doing it, I was very hungry to learn, like, how to do it properly. Um, so I think that has helped me out a lot. Um, we're going to start with the food that I grew up with and sort of my attitude about cooking at this point in my life. So I grew up in a family where both of my parents worked. Um, my mom was a nurse and my dad was a school teacher and sorry, I had to plug my phone back in. Oh my gosh. And there are, sorry, sidebar real quick. There are going to be no illusions in this podcast whatsoever. Like, um, I'm very aware that I don't have professional sound equipment and I am recording this on my iPhone. I am on my bedroom floor between my bed and the wall, sort of hoping that I get halfway decent sound here in this like little cavern spot. And um, my phone is currently plugged in because it's almost out of battery because I'm an irresponsible person. Um, and uh, I'm also like wedged in between a stack of books and I keep, I keep bumping into things. So, you know, I want you to know that so that <laughs> as we, as we discuss food, um, I am wearing, I will say that like one little bit of fanciness, I am wearing a robe that I just got. Um, and I've never had a robe ever in my entire life. And it's, you know, the kind of robe that it's a kimono, I guess. And it's the kind that you would like put on after you have a shower and you're still wet and you're doing your hair and your makeup and just getting fancy. And it's also really lovely for lounging around and reading. Um, so I am wearing a fancy, very pretty robe and I am drinking a really lovely cocktail. So I am not completely and totally slovenly at the moment. I'm just wedged in between my bed and the wall. And I keep bumping into my iPhone charger. So there's totally that. So tangent over. I'm going to talk about the food that I grew up on. So my father was a school teacher. My mother was and remains a nurse. Um, she's currently a hospice nurse. And she does. Uh, she's out there taking care of people in spite of all this virus stuff. And so I, I love her and I respect her a lot for uh, what she does. So growing up in a household where both parents worked, um, the food situation was perhaps not what everyone has experienced. Also, I, I was born in 1985, um, which means that I grew up eating in, you know, the eighties, the nineties. This was a time period. Um, and I think many millennials will attest to this and Gen Xers too. I don't know. A lot of people, I'm sure will be familiar with this. We were sort of in a moment in time when people really did not give a fuck about food. Um, it was a moment when I feel like, and if I'm completely wrong about this, please do let me know. But it was a moment when I feel like really fast, convenient food was 100% where it was at. And I feel like the attitude in my household growing up was very much like, if you're getting home after a long day at work and you're trying to help your kids with homework and all of that, if you're doing anything above and beyond like jabbing a potato with a fork like 50 billion times and chucking that in the microwave and then putting some like cheese on top of it and then like throwing it in front of people, if you're doing anything above and beyond that, you're like doing way too much work for your food. Um. So I definitely grew up in a household where it was, uh, I ate a lot of hamburger helper. Um, I ate a lot of grilled cheese. 
I eat a lot of baked potatoes. Um, my mom is really into healthy food. So I also, it was a lot of, you know, like, I can't remember if we cooked chicken breasts in the microwave at any point. I sort of feel like it's possible that that happened. Although I think it's more likely that chicken breast was like put in the oven and then brown rice was made. And then there was usually like a bag of frozen, frozen vegetables on the side, uh, something like that. And so there was a lot of that sort of thing. There were a lot of frozen pizzas. Uh, my dad's sort of specialty meal that he would pull out when he wanted to actually like cook something was he would do beans in the crock pot. So he would throw a bag of mixed beans into a crock pot with some sausage and usually some like chopped carrot. And he would leave that in the crock pot all day while we were all at work or school. And then we would come home and we would do up like some biscuits out of a tube and that would be dinner. So I ate a lot of food that was quick and easy. And I remember almost no occasions when like food was made from scratch until I was like much, much older. And so my experience with food growing up was that food was, um, I don't want to say boring, but there were about like five or six or seven or eight meals that I ate consistently as a kid. The summer was fantastic because then dad would grill out and then we would have like steaks and hamburgers on the grill. And I still to this day love grilled food. And it was just, um, food was also, the attitude was, like I said, you get it on the table and you be done with it. And if you're putting a ton of effort into it, then you're kind of, you're, you're wasting your time. And we didn't eat out much either because like I said, teacher, nurse, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't eat out. If we ate out, it was like KFC or McDonald's, stuff like that. I think that occasionally we would get the Subway subs, but that was mostly when I was older. Uh, my food experience as a kid was pretty limited. And please forgive me, mom, if you're listening. And I got the wrong impression here from growing up. But I also sort of, and I still sort of have the impression that in... A lot of the times in my family, um, I had the impression that it was almost considered unfeminist to cook, um, to spend a lot of time and effort on a meal because there were more important things to be doing. Like cooking was sort of like the old fashioned thing, cooking like a, a meal from scratch was something that was almost decadent and it was something that was just um if you were a woman who was progressive and who was going to take care of herself then you had more important things to do than than you know spend spend an evening cooking and that was very much the attitude that I grew up with and so I as I hit my teenage years when I think that in, in a lot of cases, mothers are sort of handing down their skills to their daughters or, you know, whatever the, the, the transferal of knowledge is. Um, I didn't just not get that. I was a little bit averse to it. I sort of didn't really want to learn how to cook. Um, because it felt, like just something that I didn't want to be part of my life. I didn't want to be the kind of person, I guess, who was, um, and I, I don't want anyone to take this disparagingly because this is a hundred percent like a teenage Megan attitude. I did not want 
to be a homemaker at that point in my life. I wanted to go out into the world and like save all the animals and write a million novels and become rich and famous like J.K. Rowling and then give all of my money away to charitable organizations. I don't know. I had plans and none of them involved making dinner. And then I... I had a couple of life experiences, I guess, that sort of changed that attitude. One of them was I love food, <laughs> it turns out. I've always loved food, but, and this is going to sound ridiculous to the vast majority of you, especially if you're a foodie, but a restaurant, and I know that you've seen these, a restaurant called Panera opened up in Morgantown. West Virginia. Um, and West Virginia is not really a place. Um, it certainly wasn't a place. It's become more progress progressive now, but it certainly at the time was not a place where there was an overabundance of like really good food establishments or anything cultural in general. It's changed a lot since I was a kid, but when I was a teenager and Panera opened in Morgantown, it was a like revolutionary experience. Um, and part of the reason why it was so incredible is because Panera has that bread, you know, that's like borderline sort of sourdough bread. And you get this bread with your food that like actually has this really lovely crust and it has that like soft and warm interior and it was sort of having that bread that made me realize that food could be more of an experience than I had had up until that point in my life. Food could, food could have these textures and these flavors that weren't just there to like fill up your stomach but they were there to be savored and enjoyed. Um, food could be a, an actual experience. And realizing that really sort of changed my perspective. And it took many years to sort of develop, but I gradually over time um, became a, a an unapologetic foodie. And I wanted to learn how to make my own bread because it was one of those things that fresh bread just was difficult to come by um, where I grew up during this time period. Unless you wanted like really specific kinds like uh, I'll tell anyone and everyone who meets me about um, these things called pepperoni rolls in West Virginia, which is basically where that you have you have like a dinner roll kind of like dough and there's pepperoni inside of it and it's all like rolled you know the pepperoni is rolled into the dough and then you bake it so you end up with this roll that has like pepperoni like on the inside like hidden you pull it apart and oh look there's pepperoni and you know beyond that Beyond those pepperoni rolls, I hadn't really had fresh baked bread until Panera arrived. And so I have to, I have to thank them for sure for sort of expanding my palate into more like Greek and Mediterranean flavors and, you know, all of the Italian sort of like leanings that they had at the time. It's not the same now, but at the time it was like a lot of sort of like Greek and Italian style like cafe food. And, um, and, and that was sort of what made me realize how much of an experience that food could be and how much it could be part of, you know, an enjoyable time. It wasn't just there to, you know, like I said, fill up your belly. Um, it wasn't just there to like nom on when you were stressed. Um, it could be. An, an experience. And it could also introduce you to new cultures. Um, and that's a huge reason why I'm passionate about food now is that it sort of allows me to travel without 
leaving the United States in some ways, like not completely, but at least I get a little, a little piece of, you know, a culture when I make food that, you know, comes from another part of the world. And, um, I really, really, really love that. And so around this time when I was, uh, in my early years of college, uh, my parents gave me, um, this 30 minute meal cookbook and because I had never had a cookbook before in my life and I was interested in learning how to cook. I was a poor college student. So it was really important that I not eat out too much. And so, yeah, I had to learn how to make some of these things that I really liked myself. Pardon me. I just had to turn on my lamp because, uh, yes, it's getting quite dark in here. So I had to learn how to, how to cook more, um, and, and eat out less. And this cookbook is sort of what my parents decided, my mom in particular decided would be the best option for me. Um, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it turns out that a lot of the, <laughs> these recipes, um, will take you much longer than 30 minutes. A lot of them also require, um, a lot of ingredients, uh, which was really tough at, uh, at the time when I, you know, had so little money. I, I was a poor college student and I was learning how to cook. And, uh, what I really wanted to do was make bread. And I tried to do bread a couple of times early on. And it was, um, a lot more than I was prepared to do. Here's the thing about making bread. Um, you sort of have to at least have an understanding of like what, what the texture should be of, you know, your dough and what should it look like when it's done baking. And I had no idea. And so, and I was completely clueless when you really don't have a foundation of, you know, a cooking skill set, learning how to cook is insanely intimidating. And I really had no skill set. I was the kind of person who I could not cook a hot dog in the microwave. And, uh, so I was in sort of a position of, I had so neglected my cooking skills out of this sort of rebellious, you know, feminism that I could not feed myself, which do you know what is not great feminism. If you cannot take care of yourself as a lady, um, then, uh, then uh, yeah, you're going to, you're going to find that's problematic. I think, um, unless you can make a lot of money and have people take care of you, in which case that sounds lovely. And I a hundred percent endorse this. So this 365 cookbook is what I ended up with. And the idea is that there are 365 recipes, which means guess what? you can be making a different recipe every single night of the year. I do not recommend doing this. It's a lot. It would be a lot to do that. But there are a lot of really, really great things here that got me started. Um, and that included uh, the first recipe in the book is called a scramble witch. I don't know that I would go with this today, but when I was first starting out, it was easy enough for me to do. It includes taking a baguette, some deli lunch meat, some eggs, cheese. And so basically the idea is that you toast the bread in the oven, you make scrambled eggs, then you pile your scrambled eggs with like ham and cheese, all of that stuff in them on top of the baguette and you bake that in the oven for a little bit longer. And then you end up with this sort of sandwich that has this melty, cheesy, you know, uh, egg scrambled eggs on top. And that was pretty good. And that was something that I at the time could do because one of the things that I could cook in those early days was I was pretty good at breakfast food. So I could make scrambled eggs. I could also make, uh, 
I could make pancakes if I had box mix. Uh, I probably would have fucked up pancakes made from scratch, but I could make pancakes from box mix. Um, there is the Smoky Turkey Shepherd's Pie, which I'm pretty sure I made like one time and never again, because it's just, like I said, a lot of these are really, really complicated for someone who's first learning how to cook. There are some really decent recipes, though, for, you know, things, things that are a little bit more entry friendly. Honey nut chicken sticks. Um, this was actually one that I made a good bit and it's, uh, chicken tenders, uh, some cornflakes, some seasoning. So you mash up the cornflakes and you drag the chicken tenders through them. And, uh, in this particular case, let's see. Yeah. You bake them on a cookie sheet, which I think is a just peachy king way of doing, uh, chicken strips. If you don't feel like frying, which I very rarely do because it's a mess. And this was sort of, this was my gateway, you know, and I, the black bean soup with Southwestern Monte Cristos. Some of these recipes were really complicated, but like I said, a lot of them were exciting enough and simple enough to provide me with an entryway. A lot of these recipes are sort of where my modern theory is that I will pretty frequently do an actual written recipe um, when I'm cooking a meal. But a lot of times um, what I will do is I will come home. I will be like, all right, I didn't plan anything tonight. So what am I going to do? Um, I don't worry about that for too long because I basically have this little catalog in my brain of the different sort of like different flavor profiles that I know I can throw together pretty quickly with like uh, a protein and a carb and then all of these flavors and vegetables. And I know that I'll be able to produce a meal that feels cohesive. So for example, let's see, I came home tonight. I had some fennel in a delivery box and I was like, okay, well, that's kind of like an Italian kind of thing. What'll go well with that? Um, I got out some tomatoes. Uh, I got out some black olives, uh, Kalamatas specifically. I got out some uh, capers and I got out a lemon. And these are things that I would consider to be sort of in this Italian sort of like flavor profile. Other things that go well with that would be like oregano, um, let's see, sun-dried tomatoes, if you don't have fresh tomatoes. So I roasted the, the fennel, the fennel bulb, um, in the oven. I sliced it up. I roasted it. I added in some, uh, cherry tomatoes, uh, on the sheet pan. I roasted all of that for about 45 minutes. I mean, I honestly didn't set a timer. I just eyeballed it. And then I cooked up some orecchiette. And I threw the vegetables on top. I added some calamatas and I added some, uh, some capers and I squeezed over some lemon juice and that was dinner. And it did not take very long. It was not remotely stressful for me because like I said, I have those flavor profiles in mind and I know what goes into them. And I know at this point, you know, sort of what's going to jive together and, and give a cohesive feeling and I could have probably added, you know, some cheese, but I mean, that was enough and it was a satisfying meal. And that's how I cook most evenings. Um, not like I'd say three evenings a week. That's usually what I do is I, you know, throw together something that is pretty simple and follows a flavor profile. So I have sort of like my Italian flavor profile in mind. I have sort of, uh, my Mediterranean sort of Greek flavor profile. And, and that would be different mostly in that I would include, uh, well, you know, like roasted red peppers, I think usually go well, uh, feta cheese instead of like Parmigiano Reggiano, um, stuff like that. 
and then uh, I would have in mind uh, sort of my more uh, Japanese flavor profile, which would uh, usually consist of a sauce that's like lime juice and soy sauce and maybe some honey and rice wine vinegar and ginger and garlic and I'll mix all of those things together and as long as you have like some vegetables and some protein and like some rice to go with that you know you you cook the vegetables in that sauce and you have something that like comes together really easily that's sort of my general theory um and it's working really well and like i said i sort of feel like i really picked that up from this this cookbook which was the first one that i ever used um and this like i said this cookbook was a challenge for me because some of the recipes were way above my level but it also let me make things that I'd never eaten before like not in a restaurant not at home not ever not anywhere some things that I'd never even heard of um one of my all-time favorite meals is uh from a Rachel Ray cookbook and it's you know it's not like a Rachel Ray exclusive by any means um oh shoot what's it called uh, chicken, chicken cacciatore is, uh, usually like a bunch of chicken, mushrooms, uh, tomatoes, like all sort of like stewed together and then served over pasta. And I had never had this. I had no idea this was a thing. Um, but I made it and it remains to this day one of my all time favorite foods and I love it. And I haven't made it nearly long enough. Um, I haven't made it nearly recently enough because like I said, I love it. Um, and it has a very like earthy, meaty flavor. And um, like I said, it's something that I don't think I ever would have ordered off a menu at a restaurant. I don't think that I ever would have been exposed to it if I had not started cooking for myself. So I think that it was really, it was really empowering when I started cooking to sort of realize um, both how much, uh, control that I had. And it was also very scary <laughs> to sort of realize that I had no idea what I was doing. And this was sort of the first experience that I really had with having absolutely no idea what I was doing. Mm. This Irish coffee, by the way, is still delicious. Hopefully I'll, I will sleep tonight. Um, um, possibly not well because you know coffee and a drink in the evening we'll see how it affects me hopefully not not in a negative way but um it was really empowering to realize that I had control over what I was eating and it was also my first life experience with learning something that was completely new to me because for the most part up until that point I had done a really good job maintaining control over my life and my exposure to things that were difficult and scary um, I had gotten straight A's all through high school, except for in math classes. I was in college when I started learning how to cook. I was still a pretty good student. Um, I had, for the most part, avoided any majorly shameful experiences in life. And I did this by sort of not putting myself out there very much at all. Um, and I really worked hard to avoid things that I had absolutely no context for. And so learning how to cook was definitely something that I had no context for. I didn't have any baseline skills. I didn't know how to hold a knife. I didn't know how to chop things. I didn't know to use a cutting board sometimes. I really was clueless. And here I was with this cookbook that has all of these recipes in it that believe me, like, this is not like your begin. This it's not a typical beginner's cookbook. And so I was trying to learn how to do things that 
I had absolutely no context for. And I think that this was sort of like, um, and I'm glad that I did this because this was a moment in my life when I learned how to really learn things. And I learned how to work through that frustration of not knowing. And I learned how to be in that scary position, um, at least for me it was scary, of having absolutely no fucking idea what I was doing. Um, and I learned how to work through that and I really discovered that instead of cooking being something that was stressful, instead of cooking being a chore, instead of cooking being something that stole power from me, um, instead of it being something that sort of like tied me down to sort of the kitchen, I guess, it became something that gave me greater strength. And so I'm enormously grateful for this cookbook. I haven't cooked a recipe out of it in years. There are a lot of reasons for that. Like I said, um, a lot of them take a lot longer than 30 minutes. A lot of them require just a ton of ingredients. It's really not super practical for a home cook. That said, I mean, there are definitely things in here that sort of like built the foundation for who I am as a cook now. And I think that that's really, it's, it's really wonderful in that way that it, 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 there's a broad range of stuff in here. Some of it's very incredibly creative. And I will therefore, if you, if you want to get a Rachel Ray 30 minute cookbook, I would 100% encourage you to pick one up. I think the 365, the, you know, no repeats one is especially good because I think a lot of the recipes are really creative for the simple fact that they kind of have to be. If you're going to do 365 recipes, um, then, you know, you're, you're really going to have to stretch and reach. And I think that you also get multiple variations on some of the recipes, which really gives you a foundation for learning how to take your base recipe and then riff on it, which is something that like I'm pretty comfortable doing now. I'm not someone who learned, you know, like traditional tr French cooking or anything until later. Um, I'm not someone who learned, you know, sort of like, I don't know, I, I guess foundational, proper foundational recipes until much, much later. And so this book is sort of where I picked up my propensity to be a little bit freer with sort of my process. And so I'm very appreciative of that. And I'm very, I'm very appreciative of the fact that I was sort of able to get over my initial aversion to cooking and really embrace it for what it could do for me. It also allowed me, and this is, this is sort of like, this is a big, like life changing thing. So I grew up with some serious food issues. I think a lot of young women do. Um, I think that especially as a young lady, I'm sure that this happens to dudes too. I'm just speaking from my personal experience and I'm totally not like going to exclude yours whatsoever. I know that this happens to a lot of people, but um, there, uh, you know, I, I sort of developed this adversarial relationship with food. Um, in my later high school and early college years, um, I started like, I, you know, I went from being probably 125 pounds when I was in an, oh, I hate even mentioning weight because it's, I don't have a scale in my house anymore. I have a completely different attitude about these things now, but at the time I went from weighing like 125 to 140 pounds over like probably a the course of my senior year of high school. 
And um, it was a really big deal for me because that had never been something that I'd ever struggled with before. And all of a sudden I, you know, was having to buy like larger jeans and it became really distressing. And there was a lot of societal pressure, I think, to like look a very certain way. And that way was not wearing size 12 or 14 or I think like 16 was ultimately, you know, like where I ended up. And I, you know, I know that a lot of people would be like, oh, well, gee, I wish I were a size 16. But at the time, it was very distressing to me. I was counting every calorie that went into my mouth. I was, if I ate seconds, I felt guilty. I was in this really bad cycle of, you know, avoiding foods that I would typically eat for a really long time. And then I would binge eat until I was very nearly sick. And, um, it was a very, I had a very bad relationship with food. I would look at a slice of pizza and inside my head, I would calculate like how many calories from fat and like, oh, look, there's like a ton of cheese on that. And I would eat it anyway, but the entire time there would be like, you know, this little mental calculator in my head. And it meant that I didn't enjoy food for a very, very long time. And, um, I think that at least some of this was fed by the fact that I was still eating a lot of this, you know, food at that time still came out of a bag. It was still something you threw in the microwave and you threw it on your plate and you like scarfed it down and then you went on with your life. And I think that I was just really hungry for something more than that. Um, and so I was eating and eating and eating and counting calories and feeling guilty. And it was all wrapped up in all of these different emotions. And I was like, oh, I need to exercise more. And oh, I need to eat less. And oh, counting this calorie and counting that calorie and like, how much have I earned, you know, in food by walking three miles today? And and it became, food became very stressful. And it was also at the same time, this thing that wasn't an experience. It was something that you made it, you ate it, you moved on with your life. Um, and there wasn't anything more to it really than that. And learning how to cook helped number one, it helped me sort of learn how to take control of all the different parts of the food. Because when you get a packaged meal, and there's nothing wrong with a packaged meal. I'm not like, you know, like shaming it at all. But when you get a packaged meal, everything is already there for you. Whether that be, you know, like a frozen bag of vegetables or a, a pizza or, you know, a, any, any, this shit's gotten like so fancy these days. Like most kids probably don't even know what hamburger helper is anymore. Or like Campbell's soup, a can of Campbell's soup. Like you have no control over what are the ingredients in it? How were they prepared? How much salt is in there? How much fat is in there? Like, did they use butter or olive oil? You have no control over those things whatsoever. Um, so being able to control those ingredients made a really big difference for me in my life. And then also the experience of cooking in and of itself really changed how I looked at food and how I felt about it. Um, this is not an overnight thing by any means. It is something that probably took me like a decade to really sort of break my habit of calorie counting. I can now eat a slice of pizza and there will just be the tiniest flutter of like, oh, that was like 250 calories. But it's really not something that I think about that much. Instead, usually when I'm making a meal, I'm like, 
oh, you know, like using this particular olive oil and do I want to use a lemon or a lime for this? What herbs do I want to put in here? It's become more about crafting an experience that I'm going to enjoy and then enjoying that experience. And I am more able to enjoy it when I've used my own hands to make it. I'm uh, the sort of person and I'm don't know, you know, I'm sure that a great many people are like this, but when I know, you know, the, the care and effort and the time that has gone into creating something, I find that thing more enjoyable. And, and, you know, being able to add the flavors that I like means that I'm more likely to end up with something that is exciting for me. And when it is exciting, I find that I'm more likely to eat healthy foods and I'm also more likely not to mindlessly binge eat. And that for me um, has been really, really important to improving my relationship with food. So I went from being someone who couldn't microwave a hot dog. Seriously, I couldn't microwave a hot dog without fucking it up. To being someone who can make chicken stock from scratch and who enjoys making chicken stock from scratch because I am able to extract all these flavors and then I'm able to take that chicken stock and use it in another recipe and you know, number one, know that what is in there. And then number two, just experience flavors that I would never otherwise be able to experience. And, and I can know that this dish that I've made is something that like I crafted, whether it is for myself or for the people that I love, it is something that I made. And to me, making things is such a big deal. And so I distinctly remember there used to be this ad um, on the radio back when people still listen to the radio, um, like on the car uh, while you were driving, you tuned to a channel and people talked at you and you couldn't just, you know, control what music was on. And there was this ad on the radio for, you know, those bagged frozen meal starters. And it would go on and on about how, oh, who wants to like come home at the end of a long day and chop and stand over a hot stove? And they really made it sound just like absolutely the worst thing ever. And of course, their goal was to sell this, you know, frozen bagged meal to you that probably cost twice what everything in it was worth. And it went on and on about how inconvenient it is to like make food. Um, and I, every time I come home at the end of a long day, like that little ad plays in my head and I go, who wants to come home at the end of a long day and chop and stand over the hot stove and like cook something from scratch? And I will just go, me, me, I want to, I want to make the food. Because it is, it's a wonderful sensory experience. It's wonderful to like chop into a bunch of fresh herbs with your knife and just smell all of those, you know, like herby flavors just kind of like burst out. It is fun to like slice stuff up. It is fun for me to, you know, like, turn on a fire underneath of my pot and throw some pasta in there when it's boiling and end up with this really amazingly delicious food. Um, it is fun for me to saute onions and garlic and mushrooms. Um, and it also helps me to be more appreciative of food, to really understand that it is so much more than just something to put in your belly. It is a part of life. It is a part of experience. It is 
you know, something for us to share. And it is something hopefully for us to enjoy as much as we are able to. I know that we're all, you know, or at least most of us are constrained by budgets and access and all these kinds of other things. But there are really few things more essential to life than food. Like you have to eat, you have to breathe, you have to use the bathroom. Um, and, uh, those, you know, those are, those are physical needs. Yes. And, and it's so easy to sort of like put them in the category of, you know, well, those are things that I'm not going to think about because those are the things that I have to do every day. But it's also, I think, just really, really important to at least take a moment here and there to have food whenever you can that just really tastes good and is a positive experience for you. And um, the more that you can do that without counting calories and while still, you know, treating your body relatively well, then, you know, then the better. But above all, I just think that, um, yeah, food is just this common human experience. And so my goal is to kind of like wrap my arms around it and learn as much as humanly possible about it, because that's the kind of person that I am and, and enjoy it and make it good and make it something that adds value to my life and something that adds experience to my life and something that lets me show other people that I care about them when I make food for them or with them and, uh, something, something that, uh, that really feeds my soul, especially right now when shit is crazy and weird. (laughs) Um, so yeah, uh, I think that that is all that I have for tonight. That feels like a lot. There's a lot of confession there. Um, I really have, I, I, I want to, you know, just sort of let you know that if you're someone who really struggles with your relationship with food, you're not alone. Um, you really aren't. Uh, like I said, I used to count absolutely every single calorie, you know, that passed my lips and I would try to earn it by like, you know, going on three mile walks or eight mile runs or whatever. And, um, you know, you, you don't, it is possible, you know, to move out of that place and into one where food is something joyful and you don't have to punish yourself for it. And it can be a really good, fun, um, and humanizing part of your life. So, uh, I just want to say Thank you for listening once again to uh, Cocktails and Cookbooks. And uh, I'm, I did not get very ranty in this particular episode. Um, we, we brought it down a little bit, but I think in a good way. I certainly hope so. And uh, again, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have a wonderful day, evening, morning, whatever it is that you're having. Um, and, uh, and yeah, uh, if you cook today, uh, try to remember to enjoy it and enjoy the end result. Uh, we all have to eat. Um, and you know, it's something that, uh, that is such a big part of all of our lives. And it's really expressive of our experiences in a lot of ways. Um, I think sometimes a lot more than we give it credit for, and it can be an art form if you approach it that way. And I, uh, on the one hand, yes, there are days when I'm approaching it as an art form. There are other days when I'm getting dinner on the fucking table and, um, and, uh, and, and, and it's much more of a task, but it's always essential and it can always be delicious if you equip yourself with, you know, the right skills and take control of it. Like, don't, like, <laughs> um, it's, 
totally okay to let someone else cook for you. And it's totally okay to cook with someone else, but also arm yourself, you know, with the tools and the skills and the equipment that you need. Um, because being able to cook for yourself to control the outcome, to make the food that you love the way you love it is enormously empowering and I highly recommend it. Um, once again, I'm going to say it like 5 million times. Thank you. I'm really genuinely grateful if you're listening to me ramble on about food and I hope that your day is wonderful and, uh, yeah, that's, that's it. This is, that wraps up this, uh, this episode of Cocktails and Cookbooks with Megan Morgan, the queen of rambling and of making, you know, uh, incorrect, but still delicious, uh, Irish coffees. Thank you. And, uh, and goodbye. And, uh, I will be talking to you again soon.